this bad foreign vibe, ass poking out of Prada fit. Now we hit the mall and we ball, nigga, we copy shit. Niggas ain't really your dog, watch who you rockin' with. People who be claiming they real, but be the opposite. He don't want no smoke for real, cause we on top of it. I heard they put some paper on me. Paper. I heard some niggas down the street from Mama's waiting on me. Waiting yeah, on me. and K on me. Ain't no sitting, y'all praying for me. Uh. G-O-D, I ain't playing with it. For real. Die about it on my mama, I'ma stand on it. Wrist many, bitch, I threw a hundred pins on it. Way black, pulling nighters, we was camped on it. Off the dribble, nigga, pulling for the cram on What's up, what's up, what's good with it, everybody? We back again for another episode of the Pick and Roll Podcast. No guest today, just me and Bergine, and we got a lot of NBA Finals stuff to talk about. So, Sam, what's up? What's up, baby? Man, man, this, is, this Finals has been a little more interesting than a lot of people have expected it to be, I will say. But this episode for us right here is pretty pivotal because we had this same opportunity last series with Milwaukee and Toronto, and we got it completely wrong. So what we're going to do this episode is we're going to talk from game one all the way leading up into game three. So start out with game one, man. Let's let's recap that a little bit. Um, unless you've been living under a rock, everybody knows Toronto did pull out game one, their first ever trip to the finals, first ever time playing on that court for the finals. They won. 118 to 109. Now this, uh, I don't think that it was necessarily a surprise. Obviously, they were the favorite to win. I think the, uh, I guess the performances out of players were more surprising. So, what was your biggest takeaway from Game One? Um, Jurassic Park is electric. (laughs) That's a that's a real night. It's a tough place to play. Um. The Raptors came out and they were ready to roll. They, they to me, they role players really can't play much better than what they did in game one. I honestly don't think, I mean, career night from Pascal Siakam. I mean, he was, he was superb from about midway through the first quarter through, was that when that first part? I don't know. Whenever he started, he hit he hit that three, and then he got that uh, little spin layup, and then he got that left hand take on Draymond, and he ain't looked back after that. Yeah, yeah, that's when he took off. Yeah, he ain't looked back again. He was extremely aggressive, and I feel like he was playing like he thought he was the best player on the floor that night. And I mean, every time he touched the ball, he was going straight to the rim with it. Like, who's stopping me? Like that. Siakam played great. Gasol, he played great as well. I mean, and then Van Vliet, um, them them three combined, Gasol, Van Vliet, and Siakam, they combined for 67 points, 5 for 11 from three, and 25 for 35 from the field. So 71% from the field and 45% from three. And they also added eight assists and 16 rebounds. I mean, you can't argue with that out of a big three of your bench or your role guys. Yeah, that's huge. That that helps that helps you get a mediocre night from Kawhi Leonard. Um, he struggled, but I mean, he still got to the free throw line and was able to pull out twenty three points. But on the other side, the Warriors 
was it on here that I said Stephen Clay was gonna combine for sixty, or was I just having a conversation with somebody? I don't think you said it on here. Okay, well they combined for fifty five, but uh, what what you what I didn't account for is that the only other person in double figures would be Draymond with ten. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was gonna say. That was to me the thing that stood out the most was that um, Draymond barely made double digits and he was the only other player in double digits. As far as Toronto was concerned, they had five guys total in double digits. One of those guys off the bench, the rest of them were uh, starters and Kyle Lowry didn't even score in double digits. So that goes to show you how monumental those other guys scoring in double digits were. Um, like you said, Mark Gasol had a good game, and you touched on it uh, after the game, Not obviously not on a podcast because we haven't had another episode, but you touched on uh, his ability to guard the pick and roll uh, in game one. He looked extremely comfortable, um, and to me that was a bit of a surprise. I think it, um, obviously Toronto's length helps out with that a lot because of the way that they were guarding Steph off of the pick and roll. They were uh, – not necessarily trapping him, but bringing, uh, making sure that they crowded him when it came time for that pick and roll to happen. And he uh, he made some, I'll say, not Steph Curry like decisions off that pick and roll. I would like to see him. Impressive. Yeah, I would like to see him extend a lot off that pick and roll and make it become a one on one matchup with him and Mark Gasol because like he did down the stretch. Yes, exactly because you saw early on in that game. As I said, they crowded him, and all Marcus all had to do was put his hands up and get into the passing lanes. And Steph was looking to obviously pass off the pick and roll, to which is obviously in most cases the best decision to make off of that. But in this particular case, you need him to be aggressive, and that to me was that that played a big role in why Marcus all was able to be as effective as he was. You get a couple of possessions in under your belt where you either get deflections or they don't score off of attacking you on a pick and roll. And for any basketball player, you know that that's a confidence booster. And boosting your confidence is huge in games like this. You already are on a high because it's your first game ever in the finals. And then you add on top of that, oh, shoot, I'm really doing something that they thought was going to be a weakness, and I'm out here scoring too? Yeah, that puts you that, that put you on a completely different level. Your confidence is out of the arena. And he was so, able to play 30 minutes, too. Yeah, that was big, too. And even with that, like you said, Kawhi had pretty much, um, I won't say a poor game, but it wasn't. It was subpar. And they were able to win that game. So as a ball club, that gives you confidence. That gives you extreme confidence. But, yeah, man, it, there's no way that anybody who watched the game can say anything other than what you said. Pascal Siakam was – he played that game like he was the best player on that court. He only missed – Three shots the entire night. One of them was a three. Obviously, two field goals, but uh, or two from the field that he missed. But I mean, he ended with thirty-two, eight boards, five assists. Like he he really he played his game. But reason being was because and Draymond said it in a post-game press conference. He let him get comfortable. He let him get comfortable early. He should have not necessarily put his foot on the neck, but he should have. Uh, asserted himself defensively early just to let him know, like, yeah, you might score, but it's definitely not going to be easy. You're going to have to work for these. And I don't feel like he did. I feel like he came into the game uh, maybe a little passive, not expecting Pascal Siakam to be as aggressive as he was on the offensive end. You think that might have had something to do with the way Draymond defended him? Yeah, I, I think 
I don't know. I, I think that the Warriors really just flat out didn't. They just came. They just didn't seem like they was really ready. Like it's it's crazy to say, with it being the Warriors, but it just was like, like even Steph even said it in the um. I can't remember if it was Steph or Clay, but in the post game after the uh, after the game, they was like, uh, "Your film doesn't really do this team justice as far as speed." And it was Clay. Concerned. It was yeah, Clay. Like, like they should have been more prepared and ready. And I, I kind of feel like I don't, I don't want to say they was taking them lightly, but I think that when they beat the Raptors, they kind of looked at it like, oh, "Okay, we ain't got to play the Bucks." You know what I'm saying? Well, like, when not, they beat the Rockets. Y- no, I'm saying when they um when the Bucks beat the Raptors, I think they was kind of like not saying they were scared of the Bucks, but it was just like, ah, oh, yes, we don't got to play them. Like we got the Raptors instead. Like I, I feel like this was this was a they didn't want to really have to play Giannis. I feel like and mm-hmm. and since they didn't have to no more, I feel like they kind of they came into the game yeah, kinda, a little kinda, lack lackadaisical just because it wasn't who they were expecting yeah, to play. They was expecting an extra dog fight against the Bucks. Like I said, not saying they was afraid of them, but just like you expecting that that dog fight, and then you get the other matchup, and now it's like, okay, well, all right, now we now we got the Raptors, and now I they, agree. Now they realize like this shit gonna be a dog fight too. Like, you can't be like I don't know. It just it was weird. They, they, that game one was weird. Yeah, it definitely was, and I agree with you. With uh, them may have been coming into that that series looking, uh, I guess a little little ahead. Like, okay, well, you know, it is what it is. We're not playing against the team with the best record in the NBA. We're playing against the Raptors. Um, but even with that being said, I felt like uh, that was a bit of a letdown as far as Golden State is concerned, and I know. A lot of teams don't put much stock into the regular season. But this is a Raptors team who beat you twice in the regular season. You didn't beat them in the regular season this year, I don't believe. And with that being the case, I feel like a team who has as much experience as they do, that coming into game one, that is a game where you really assert yourself and show them, like, nigga, this is not the regular season. This is the playoffs. And we're going to show y'all why them games did not matter that y'all beat us. And to me, when you beat a team twice in the regular season, obviously a team that's supposedly better than you, uh, definitely on paper. But when you beat a team, when you sweep a team in a regular season and then you come back in the playoffs and you play them, and not only do you just play them in the playoffs, you play them on a stage as huge as the NBA Finals. It gets no bigger than that. To me, that's a huge confidence booster for Toronto, seeing as, oh, shit, we beat them niggas in a regular season, and, yeah, that might not mean that much, but, shit, we came out and beat them in game one, too. So that shit might not have been a fluke. We might be right where we need to be against this ball club. And granted, completely different ball club, no Kevin Durant out there, uh, players not playing to their best ability. But even with that being said, I think that that was uh, it was huge for Toronto. I think you said this. Uh, excuse me, right after game one. And it's obviously a lot of people are going to be like, oh, he just said that because he a Warriors fan. And excuse me, he just trying to save face and don't want to uh, trying to defend them because they lost. But it was extremely accurate. Your statement was if Toronto didn't win game one, they really didn't stand a chance in this series at all. And that was, I mean, that, that's as clear cut, as it gets like that's a fact and I think Toronto knew that 
I think Toronto knew if we're going to get any of these games that any of these statement games, it's got to be game one. If we come out here and lose our first game in the NBA Finals after this team has been resting all of this time, if we come out here and lose this first game, it's straight downhill from here. Now we're we're trying to fight uphill. And granted, uh, we'll touch on game two in just a second, but they're obviously they're already fighting uphill now. But it's a lot less uh, difficult seeing as you've already beat this team once in the finals. So you feel like, okay, like we can do this. We can beat them. But I don't know, man. I, I, I was uh, I was definitely intrigued and entertained by game one. Um, we've, we, we touched on him last series and he's continued to be what he's needed to be for this team to be successful. And that's Fred Van Vliet, um, five for eight from the field, 16 or 15 points off the bench. And more importantly than anything, he played 33 minutes. That's a lot of minutes for somebody off the bench. Like you don't see that that often. And, I think he's ready to take that step now to be that guy that they need him to be in the future in Toronto because he's definitely showing that he's capable of being who they need him to be on a nightly basis. Granted, he struggled last series, but we talked about the family stuff that he had going on at the time with his child being born. But ever since then, it seemed to be like that was what was on his mind because now that his son has dropped, we haven't seen him take any steps backwards. Mm -hmm. And – I I I think that he'll he'll be he'll be a, a very important part moving forward. Yeah, I think we kind of see him the passing of the torch between him and Lowry kind of somewhere here. I feel like the only reason Low we still seeing Lowry get heavy minutes is because he's been so valuable in so many other aspects of the game besides scoring, which is why like a lot I've been like when I've been hooping and stuff, I've been been hearing a lot of people bad mouth Kyle Lowry. And as a point guard, I had to step in, like, hold on, man. I mean, yeah, he can't give you 30 no more, but, I mean, he's not that guy no more. He never – to be honest, he never really was supposed to be that guy that he that was supposed to make five all-star games in the first place. So, I feel like he he had a great career um, considering his circumstances, and now we see him at the end of it, and he's still able to contribute on a contending team right now. He's still – like I said, he's doing everything that you would ask for out of a, po- a veteran point guard. I mean, I agree. He he's playing good defense. He's taking mad charges. The only thing I will say is that maybe he might need to chill out on some some of those charges because they need him in the game down the stretch. So if he can't be he can't be having like he fouled out in game two and he had five fouls in game one. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. If anything, I would like to see him uh, not. I don't want to say not be as aggressive as he is because I love his aggression, but he's got to be smart in being that aggressive. Like, I don't think that uh, five and six fouls from him is a good thing. You know, you no. have some guys that you go out there and you're like, shit, we need him to foul. That's what he. That's what he's going to do. I mean, we might not need him to foul out, but we're, we're chalking it up that he's going to have a few fouls tonight. Cal Lowry isn't one of those guys, for one, because he is your point guard. You need that on the court in certain moments of the game, especially crucial moments of the game. With the team this young, excuse me, and guys like Pascal Siakam and uh, those type of guys, depending on who's on the court, you need your floor general out there. Granted, Kawhi can do it, but 
Why even put that burden on him? Get Kawhi somewhere comfortable where you can get the ball to him throughout his offense. And Cal Lowry is a guy that brings that aspect. I'm not saying that Fred Van Fleet can't do it, but why even risk throwing him into that fire when you know you have a guy in Cal Lowry who's completely capable of running the show and making the correct plays that need to be made down the stretch? And when you lose a guy like you do, like you did in game, uh, in game two, I mean that 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 plays a role in in how the game ends. Um, I want to say that last, yeah, that last possession when um, when Iggy had the wide open three in game two, uh, he wasn't on the court because he had just fouled out a few possessions before that when he bumped Boogie on something Stupid. really really idiotic and foul. He tried those to type from behind of, on the rebound. Yeah, those type of moments right there, you would like to have that leadership on the court. Not to say that they wouldn't have uh Golden State wouldn't have gotten that shot, but I just think that it, it obviously you you take your chances with the guy like him being on the court as opposed to him fouling out and being on the bench. But yeah. Yeah, now now that we've go went ahead and crossed over, let's talk game two, man. What was the major difference in in your opinion, from game one and game two, what really changed in order to give Golden State that win? For those who didn't uh, watch, Golden State came back to win game two um, after losing game one. They won 109-104. to 104. Uh, It was a pretty good game out of a, a few guys. But what, like I said, what was your biggest takeaway? What do you think was different in that game? Um, for one, um, that trio I talked about, that Siakam, Gasol, Van Vliet trio. Mm-hmm. I read those stellar numbers for game one. Well, uh, game two, they were the polar opposite. Um, out of those three guys, you get 35 points, two for 13 from three, 14 for 42 from the field. I mean, so that's, there's, your, there's your role, guys. They didn't give you anything. Kawhi, I mean, Kawhi balls out, gives you 34, but that night he, he ain't have no help. I think that was the biggest thing. And then also, um, that 20 0 run. Huge. The third I mean, for one, the, the coach, Nick Nurse, he don't call a timeout until it's a 14 0 run. I, I feel like you should probably try. You got to break it up early. A little early. You, know, you know, a team like Golden State in the previously has showed you that they can go on crazy runs. And in the third quarter, if you know anything about Golden State, you know that that's their quarter. So if you see any type of signs that that's about to happen, that they about to blow the doors off this bad boy, you get a timeout as soon as possible. They go on the 7-0 run, okay, we need a timeout right now. Period. Point blank. I don't think that any coach in his right mind is comfortable with Golden State going on a 13, 14, 15, like nowhere near that. If they – I will say as a coach, if Golden State hits a 10-0 run, that is the absolute last point that you can wait to call a timeout. It should not get beyond a 10-point run, more than 10 points. More than a 10-0 run, you're in trouble. You're asking to dig yourself a bigger hole than what needs to be dug. And like I said, if I'm a coach and I see them going a 7-0 run, okay, let's burn one right now. We and need. low key, low key, that that run started before the half, mm-hmm. because I think it was about maybe a minute left, and uh, the Warriors was down ten, 
and you actually was here, and something happened, and we ain't watched the last minute or so of the game, and I asked Siri to score. And not minute of the game, but minute of the half. And I yeah. asked Siri to score, and we was down five. And I was like, oh, we must have went on a nice little run to close out that half. And then the third quarter start, and next thing you know, you look up, the Warriors up 13. you like, yeah. damn, what just happened? It just happened real quick. Like, it, it was crazy. Like, but yeah, you gotta you gotta burn one quicker than that, and then but I mean the Raptors they they still found themselves with a chance to win that game. Um, Clay ends up out of there. Um, the Warriors they just couldn't score down those stretch. The the Raptors went into a crazy little, like Steph said, a janky defense, which I agree with, but at the same time. It's the finals. You do whatever you got to do to win the game. I'm not against it at all, even though, like, the boxing one in the NBA is weird. <laughs> but, I mean, like I said, I, I, I'm not against it. You do whatever you got to do to try to win the game. So, I mean, but ultimately, though, you got to give props to Boogie. Boogie was extremely stellar in game two. And then Clay Thompson as well, four for six from three. And those threes were – monumental um and then the bench i mean the warriors still only ended up with four guys in double figures so one extra guy from last game which was boogie with 11 draymond has 17 steph with 20 uh 23 and clay with 25 but the bench guys in game two they hit they wasn't a lot of buckets but they hit timely buckets yeah, Quinn Cook went three for six from the field, and all three of his buckets were three balls. And yes, they weren't yeah. just, oh, he's open shooting three balls and we're up by a lot of points. Like, they were crucial three-point buckets to where it gave Golden State huge confidence, like huge momentum, a huge momentum boost. It's like you already got to worry about Steph and Clay hitting from three, and now all of a sudden they throw a guy in Quinn Cook in here who – is not only just shooting the three, but he's hitting the three. And Quinn Cook is a guy who obviously we know as a Blue Devil. He's a guy that shoots the ball with confidence every time he shoots it. So if he gets it going, then he's definitely like he he can he can string along and hit hit some big time three balls. And we've seen that throughout his career. So that was that was huge. Nights. He didn't have some thirty point nights. Yeah, he went when Steph went down. Uh, was it this year or last year? I want to say it was last year. Yeah, last year. But when Steph went down, Quinn Cook stepped in, and he played tremendously. He played – obviously, you can't uh, you can't make up for losing a guy like Steph, but he made it to where Golden State, they, uh, they could win without Steph, and they didn't have to worry as much about Steph not being in there because of what he was able to step up and do. And, uh, yeah, you touched on Boogie, man. Boogie, he had probably the best game that I've seen him have as, in that Warriors uniform in quite some time, which is odd because obviously a lot of people look at the stat line, 11 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists. Um, he, only shot, he only made three shots. Uh, but every one of those 28 minutes was extremely pivotal. And that 6 assists – that that screams to how good of a game he had. That's more assistant Steph. That's more assistant Clay. That's more assistant Sean Livingston. He was what tied for second on the team in assists with uh with Iggy. 
Draymond had nine. Yeah, he was tied with Iggy. So, I mean, that just goes to show how great of a game he had passing. And uh, I've always said I felt like Boogie was slept on a lot when it came to his passing, man. Like, he's a, a, a very good passing big. And he put that on display. And like I said, it it was it was a lot of the little things, man. He made plays when they needed to be made. And he didn't – you can tell that he's – officially buying into winning this championship like he this is to me if it doesn't show you anything it shows you that boogie is maturing as a player he shows that he's capable of being a part of a championship team without being a cancer because coming into this season let's just call it what it was man everybody was saying oh boogie's a head case i don't know if he's coachable he's this he's that but i mean he's showing now more than ever that he's able to control not only his temper, but he's able to know his role on a ball club and do what's best for the team in order for them to be successful. And uh, that, that to me, is what game two showed me more than anything. But we touched on uh, Toronto's uh, Toronto's lack of help for Kawhi. Van Vliet, he, he had a good game again. He had 17. But uh, like you Second said, half was horrible. Yeah, like you said, the rest of the guys didn't really step up, and the thing to me was the the shooting percentage. It dropped drastically. They shot thirty seven percent in game two, and in game one, I want to believe they shot somewhere around fifty percent. Um, yeah, Toronto did. They shot. Yeah, they shot, yeah, they shot 50, 50, 50 even on uh. In game one, and then dropped to 37% in game two. So that right there, I mean, that goes to show that the quality of shots that they were taking most likely weren't as good as game one, and and they also just weren't hitting the shots. So if you take a drastic drop from 50% to 37% against a team like Golden State, chances are you're going to lose that game. But even with that being said, you touched on it. Toronto still had an opportunity to win that ball game. And uh, Kawhi had some questionable shots down the, down the stretch, I will say that. But even with that, they still had an opportunity. Now, one thing I did want to ask you was, I saw a lot of analysts saying this, and to me, I was baffled. Like, I didn't understand it at all. But a lot of people were saying, oh, Iggy took a bad shot at the end of the game. Why would he take that shot? That was it. He was a bad shot, but it just happened to go in. Me, personally, I'm like, that's probably the best look that you're going to get, especially with the shot clock ticking like it was. That's a yeah. wide-open three-pointer. Not only is it a wide-open three-pointer, it's a wide-open three-pointer from a vet, a guy that's not – he's pretty pretty comfortable in taking those shots. Granted, obviously you want a guy like Steph taking your last shot, but if you no, have a wide-open look from an Iggy, that obviously that's what that's what Toronto wanted. That was the scheme that Toronto decided to do, and Iggy just went to show them – Hey, you can leave me if you want to, but this is going to be the result. So I was, I, I didn't think that was a bad shot at all. No, nah, I didn't think it was a bad shot either, but I do understand what people are saying. Um, I mean, yeah, help me saying, understand because I don't get it. Yeah, they're not saying that, uh, that they want Steph to shoot it or whatever. They're saying that, all right, it was like what, uh, six or some, how much what was it, like a three or four second differential? Yeah, four second about? differential. So what they saying is take the shot 
take the shot clock all the way down to like one and then throw up some shit that hit the rim and then don't leave them no time. But the problem with that is you asking for perfect execution for that last four seconds to where you don't, don't turn it over. Then you throw up a shot and it, then it hits the rim and you don't foul on the rebound. Like it's too much. It, it was too much at play. I felt like it was a good shot considering he was wide open and it was something he could step into and shoot. I, I would personally shoot that shot if that was me or if I was coaching, I wouldn't have had an issue with that shot either. Because I mean, like you said, you're not, at that point, if you don't shoot that, then then you know that you're just trying to run out the clock. You're not even trying to score. So I mean, it, it's just it would it, it's hard. It's, it would have been too. I feel like that would have been too much to try to execute at that time. So how many I, how many time did they have any timeouts left? Toronto. I don't, I don't believe so. so okay, so if they didn't, then that's understandable. Yeah, if it hits the rim, you know what I'm saying. Then then you they get it. With or even if they just have one timeout left, if Iggy misses that shot, now they get the ball with four seconds left, and that's 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 their point is what they're saying is if he misses that shot, the Raptors got more than enough time to really make something shake, is what they're saying. So they saying he shot it too early, not necessarily that he shot it at all. They just saying that he shot it a couple seconds too early. I can understand but, that, but I feel like even if the shot clock runs all the way down, the ball hits the rim. And Toronto gets the rebound. It's four seconds. It's gonna be four seconds left. That's an eternity in the NBA, especially with a team that is obviously looking for a three. So if that shot goes up, it's gonna be guys leaking. Yeah, this is transition. Toronto has done well in transition, especially uh, game one. They showed you that. So you're running a risk of him just throwing up any type of rinky dink ass shot with the opportunity for them to get a rebound, throw a throw-ahead pass to most likely somebody that's going to get damn near uncontested three ball, regardless of if it's from near half court or near the hash or whatever. It's still a wide-open look. And me as a coach, I'm I'm not taking those chances, especially when you're at home. You never know what's going to happen. Like you said, it could be a somebody could be throwing up a Hail Mary uh, shot, fucking around and get fouled, shooting three uh, free throws now. Like you never know. You know, I, I feel like you never put that opportunity in a referee's hands. You you pretty much in the game when you've got an opportunity to do so. So I, I'm glad Iggy took that shot. And I guess the way you explained it, I can definitely understand where the analysts were coming from now. But prior to to you explaining, I'm like, mm, I don't know what they're talking about. I'm glad Iggy took that shit. You heard Mark Jackson. He like man, every day of the week. Yeah. Period. <laughs> Period. I mean, I don't, like I said, I, I have no issue with that shot whatsoever. Even if he misses it, I mean, because Steph almost turned it over. But they've been letting the Raptors play a lot of football out there. <laughs> it you has been saying? pretty aggressive. Like, Granted, it's the final, so. Yeah, but, I mean, they've been – But um, Golden State, though, their offense was – it was, it was amazing just to watch um, the way they was just moving the ball and stuff. Like, you get 38 made field goals, and 34 of them was assisted away. It's 89% of your baskets. I mean, that's that's beautiful basketball. But, yeah. Um, down the last eight minutes, though, the Warriors – Steph ain't get up a shot in the fourth quarter. He ain't have no free throws. I mean – Hopefully Steve Curtin figured out something for that box of one. That you it looked like it, it. Yeah, it looked like it, it. It it did what it was supposed to do. Right. 
But the thing for the Raptors was because they got the stops down the stretch. They just couldn't score their damn self. They was three for 16 in the last eight minutes. One for nine from three. Kawhi, for, Kawhi was one for six in that span. And they still managed to squeak out a 10-0 run. So, I mean, they put themselves right in position. I mean, so you got to be optimistic. I mean, you got to feel some type of optimism about that if you're the Raptors. But mm, they going in the Oracle. This the last go-round for the Oracle. Oof. You know what it's going to be like. You know the atmosphere gonna is going to be crazy. So um, If the Raptors can split in the Oracle, that would be monumental. Then we're looking at a seven-game series. Period. Gotta be. But uh, before we get off game two, man, you touched on it a little bit when you spoke. Clay went down with, a, a, I guess, a look, what looked like to be a hamstring injury. Um, how severe do you think that was? You think it's something something to be looking looking at? Uh, you think in game three is something that may linger over? How how severe do you think it is? I think all the injuries are something to be somewhat um to be looking at. I mean, because I mean Looney, he's been officially ruled out. Yeah, I saw that. That's huge too. So he's done. He's been giving good minutes throughout the entire playoffs. I mean, Steph was dehydrated, so I mean that's still something to be paying attention to. Boogie got the quad, Iggy got the calf, KD got the calf, Clay with the hammy. Like I mean, it, it's all something to be paying attention to. But as far as Clay's individually, I think that I think there's no way he doesn't play, bro. I mean, I think he'll play, but I my I think. My biggest concern, well, I would say until I started to see footage and stuff, my biggest uh, question was how effective is he going to be in game three? Because we all know Clay's a phenomenal defender and Clay's also phenomenal at shooting. So with that, with those two combinations, that's something that you're definitely going to need your hamstring for. Definitely. So if there is any lingering pain there, you're definitely going to feel that. When you do what you do. On offense, regardless of whatever, a 50% clay, you still going to stick to his ass and not help off of him. That's a fact. So, I mean, regardless of if he hitting shots or not, he's still going to have to be respected out there. So, I mean, it's not a case of, like, you injured and now we not even worried about you. They still going to have to guard him. So, him playing, if he can, is better than him not playing at all in his situation. Because, I mean, I ain't going to say no chance to win without Clay, but, man. It's going to be a lot rougher. But Like, we, I, we looking at Steph going to have to do something. He going to have from, to show why he's supposed to win finals MVP this year. It's going to have to be more than a finals MVP performance to win without Clay. It's going to have to be 45, 50 points. And I think that's what's going to have to happen in order for him to solidify the finals MVP. He's going to have to have one game in his finals where he really put up like damn near forty or put up forty he or fifty. Put up damn near 40, yeah, he put man. up thirty-four, but we need him to put up forty, forty or close man. to fifty in order to be like, Yeah, th- yeah, this is his year. He deserves that. Because he right now, be. Steph's stats look good, but Steph don't look like the finals MVP by just looking at this man. game. If I man, I'm not going here with y'all again today. 
I'm just saying, bro. I'm calling it like it is. I'm not saying Steph's playing bad, and I'm not saying that he's bro, playing tremendous. All I'm saying is averaging 28 in the finals. It's not, not just about, about else, stats, bro. It, it is not bro, just y'all about only say stats. This shit for Steph. If this was, that's a lie, if you this know, was I Kobe Bryant with the exact same damn numbers. This was not. This would not be your tone, bro. That's, that's a lie, that's bro. bro. That is a lie, bro. It this damn near happened in the second ring against Boston, bro. Pal outplayed Kobe in that whole series. Negative, Dude, negative, negative. Kobe didn't have that, a good man. series by no means, but he wasn't outplayed. Oh my God. Pal. Regardless, so we're not talking the about the Lakers. No, point, Ron Artest swing the series, if we're being honest. Oh, my God. So how Kobe get finals MVP then? Because they weren't giving it to Ron Artest because exactly, he didn't have – because he, it's Kobe Bryant. No, That's because Ron Artest had – Ron Artest had one monumental game. He had good moments, but he had one monumental game. But regardless, like I said, Steph just does not look like the best player on the court, like head and shoulders right now. Granted, if the series ended today, he probably would win it just off the strength. But I don't think, judging by the eye test, he looks like... That's how it's supposed to be with the damn superstars. That's how it's supposed to be. That's how it always has been, period. Like, Mm. I don't understand it. They, they would have never gave no damn finals MVP to no Robert Ory or none, none of that shit back in, like, I don't want to hear it. Man, it's I still ridiculous. think. It's to the point to where people are looking for reasons to not give it to Steph, though. I don't like, think so. I think that <laughs> yes, that's you is, as a bro. Steph fan. Like, come on, man. Like, he ain't yeah. got one yet. This supposed to be the year. Bro, he averaging 28 points per game. And y'all looking for a reason not to get, like I said, any other superstar averaging 28. You're not talking about nobody else on the team. I don't care when the numbers is coming, how they come in, it don't matter. Well, but only because it's staff, everybody like, oh, but you got to look at when it's coming. And I don't like, know no, why the hell you think no. niggas got this bandetta against Steph because niggas evident. don't. It's evident. Mm, I don't believe that. But anyway, I think back to Clay, I don't think, well, I'll say prior to the footage that I saw, I was a little nervous about his uh, status as far as that hamstring was concerned. But I watched the video of him and KD um, uh, back behind the locker room or whatever, uh, taunting Drake and all of that. The way that he walked looked fine to me. Like, obviously, he was walking a little gingerly, but not enough to be noticeable. And also, I don't know if a lot of people paid attention, but the first when that video first started, First thing KD asked him was, like, you good? And he gave his face, like, I'm good. Like, I'm straight. Like, I'm all the way good. And that, to me, was more of a, okay, it's not really that banged up. Because if it was, training staff would be like, okay, come on, Clay. We need you back here. We got we need to get you together for game three. Like, this, the, uh, the process of getting you back together starts now. So, I think he's fine. I think he'll play. I think he'll still be Clay. I don't think that we'll see a drop off or anything of that nature. But as far as game three is concerned, man, I'm expecting to see exactly what we just said with Steph. I'm expecting to see Steph flex that muscle and show why he should win the finals MVP. He needs to have that signature moment, which I think will come in game three. Um, Mostly because, I think that the rest of the series, I I still I'm still standing on my uh my four one uh pick. I'm still standing on that, and I think Game Three is going to show why. I think Game Three is going to be um 
excuse me, a statement win for the Warriors. I think that they'll win that game by double digits. Be the first game in the series that'll be won by double digits. And I think it's going to be one of those double-digit wins to where if you watched the game, you knew that it was never close based off of, you know, regardless of what the score was. So I think that that's going to happen in game three, just off the strength that it, like you said, it's in Oracle. This is the last hurrah in Oracle. So they definitely want to get a fan something to be happy about. And the fans, you know, they're going to bring it, especially after seeing the way that Toronto acted. They like, oh yeah, we definitely gotta show that we are Roracle. Like they're gonna bring they all of that back. back. Right. So I'm expecting to see that. I think that that's gonna take effect and it's gonna affect some guys that are gonna be extremely uh important for Toronto. Um, I think Kawhi's gonna have another good game, but I I don't believe that his supporting cast will be there. I think that um we'll see We'll see some decent performances, but I think we'll see stellar performances out of um, the Warriors. Definitely, to me, I think the guy that's going to have the best game outside of Steph, because I think Steph is going to have the best game, period. But I think Draymond is going to have a a tremendous game because he's played good statistically, but he has not had that game yet where he's been extremely dominant on the court. And I think that this is going to be that game. So, What's what's your synopsis for Game Three? What do you see happening? Yeah, I think I think the Warriors come out and uh, and flex they and flex they muscle, but I think it's going to be late though. I I think it's going to be a tightly contested one. Then I think we see a big third quarter, and they kind of coast. I think the Warriors know that they don't have a lot of bodies, and I think that's kind of what happened to them in Game One too. I forgot to say that is that they they've been kind of coasting in the first half just kind of chilling and then get a nice little spurt in the second half and then just try to hold on to it just to try to try to kind of like kind of save a little bit of energy and I think that they tried that in game one and realized that that shit was going to be too hard to do and then they fucked around and did it again in game two and actually did it and caught themselves yeah but I I don't I don't know man I don't know they've been trying to I don't know. I would like to say that they're going to come out strong, but it ain't going to happen. Steph's going to be having some early turnovers again, like always. Like I, That's one thing. Y'all know I love that, that dude to death as far as basketball is concerned, man. But that damn one-hand wraparound pass, bro, <laughs> I cannot stand that shit, bro. Like, I just be like, how do you get to the NBA throwing that pass? Because that's clearly something he's just been doing forever. That's just like, he just like, ugh, got to get rid of it. Like I hate that pass, bro. <laughs> I hate when he do that. But yeah, he got to be stronger with the ball in the pick and roll and attack Mark Gasol. Um, I think Gasol's legs are done. I think he gave about everything he had in game one, and now he's going to have to guard Boogie too. So that's taking a lot out of him as well. I think I think we're going to we're not going to see no more twenty point nights out of him. Siakam got to be better though. I mean, he really did let Draymond punk him in game two. 12 points. So I, hopefully, hopefully we see a repeat of game two, that third quarter and on. But I don't know, man, because I got a sneaky feeling that, that Clay really know his shit really hurt, man. I don't know, cause I mean, you saw in his uh his interview, he told him it would be hard for me not to play. Like it would be hard to see me not playing, is what he said. So 
I think that that's pretty much, you know, well, you let, know I solidifying. You know I got the Warriors in game three, but I don't think it's going to be – I don't think it's going to be a runaway. I I think it's going to be a, a nice, nice game again. It might end up being about 10 points, but I don't think it's going to be a runaway game. But I hope so, but I don't think it will. Yeah, I – Oh, another thing that I wanted to touch on with uh, Toronto was in game one, excuse me, they got a huge performance out of a guy that I said uh, in our last episode that needed to needed to be better, which was Danny Green. He shot the ball way better. He hit three threes uh, in game one, which um, they may not have been like game deciding threes, but they were huge for them. They definitely needed that out of him. Uh, but you you didn't really see him have that same level of success in game two. Uh, I want to be sure that, yeah, he went three. Uh, he went four for nine from the field in game one with three of those being three. So that just goes to show that he was really, he was, he was looking for his three ball, which I thought, they definitely needed to do or he needed to do in order to gain some confidence. But in game two, uh, he only hit two threes and uh, he only had eight points. So I, I I think that in game three, if they need, if they want to have a chance, they're definitely going to need more out of him. He scored double digits in game one. He didn't do that in game two. Um, Cal Lowry is also a guy that I'm expecting to see step up and have a pretty solid game three. I don't know on what um and what aspect he's gonna have a big game because we've seen Kyle Lowry have um throughout this playoff, we've seen seen him have pretty good scoring nights and we've also seen him have games where he doesn't necessarily score the ball well, but he's still extremely effective in every other aspect of the game. So I'm going to need to see one of those two performances. I'm thinking we'll see more of a scoring performance from him, seeing as we haven't seen that yet in this series. So I'm expecting to see that. But like you said, man, Siakam played more minutes than anybody um, anybody for Toronto in game two and only had 12 points. That, that can't happen. We understand that he had his uh, 32 in game one, and we're not expecting him to have 32 every game. But we are expecting him to be somewhere in the 20s or close to it. 12 points is unacceptable if they're expecting to to beat this Warriors team. And I think that I'm not – I don't know if we'll see that, man, because like I said, I think Draymond's going to have a really good game, and I think he it's going to come – I think it's going to come from him putting the pressure on Siakam. So – yeah, I, that's what I'm expecting to see. But uh, are you still standing on your pick? What you have? Four? You have Golden State four two? Is that what you had? Four two, yeah. You still standing on that? Yeah, I think it'll still be four two. Um, I think I think the Warriors will go up three go up three one, and then uh, Toronto will win Game five, and then the Warriors win Game six. At home. Yeah. That's sound about right. I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of leaning towards switching my pick to four two, but 
I'm going to stick with it. I'm sticking with 4-1. I think if Golden State wins game three and game four, I think that they'll close it out in Toronto. I think as far as the the storybook ending is concerned, it all everything would line up to them winning game six and winning it all. Um at at Oracle since that would be the last one. I feel like it was it would only be right. Um they haven't when's the last time they won a championship in Oracle? Oh no. Nah they um last year. The, nah, nah not last year, year before year last year before four one, yeah. Yeah, when they uh yeah, okay. KD's first year. Yep. Yeah, they did. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's – I guess it's been a couple years. This will be the second year. So, I feel like that, that could potentially be the case. Um, so, before we get out of here, key players in game three that you think really need to have big games for each ball club? Uh, well, instead of player – for the Raptors, I'm going players, and I'm going with that big three, not not the big three, but that role player big three of Siakam, Gasol, and Van Vliet. Um, I, I think those are three very important guys for them as a as a whole. Like they can they can just they got to get the job done collectively. Mm-hmm. They, they can't combine for 35 again. They don't got to combine for that 67 they did in game one, but it can't be 35. And then for the Warriors, I'm going with um, Iggy, but not just Iggy, but Iggy's three ball. I think Iggy got to hit a three or two, man. the the game The game always flow different when he when he hits a three or two threes. Like game game two, he hit two up. Went two for four. Yeah, it went two for four in game two. Game one, he was zero for four. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. He just gotta. He don't gotta hit a lot, but usually it's him and Draymond. Draymond zero for four in the series for from three. He ain't hit a three yet. But uh, game two, Quinn Cook made up for Draymond with the three balls, and then Iggy gave you two. So yeah, those those two guys gotta hit hit jump shots. Not a lot, but just enough to where like that possession where you play good defense on Steph and Clay, and you leave Iggy or Draymond. That that three, they gotta knock that three down. That one or two threes they get a night where the defensive possession was good, but you leave them thinking that that's what you want, and they knock it down. That that that's all they gotta do. And I I think that that's something that always helps out the Warriors. So yeah, I'm gonna go with go with Iggy and Draymond as far as the Warriors. Okay, well, two players. Uh, for me, for Toronto, I'm gonna go with uh. No surprise, Pascal Siakam is going to have to have a much better game. But also, not only is he going to have to have a good game, I think it's going to have to be a combination of him and Cal Lowry having a good game. Those two guys have a good game, and Kawhi does what Kawhi does. Excuse me. I think that they have a really good chance of uh, winning game three. Uh, Still don't see it happening, but I think that that gives them the best chance. As far as Golden State is concerned, um, I've already said, uh, I believe Draymond is going to be the deciding factor, but I think as far as having a, a big game, I think that I have to look no further than Boogie. I think Boogie not, I don't think Boogie has to have a big game statistically. 
I think Boogie has to have a big game consistently. This game can show that this next game, game three, can show that he's consistently able to do what is best for the team. So I think it's extremely pivotal that we don't see Boogie become reckless again. We need to see him make the plays that need to be made. I don't care if Boogie only scores 11 points again, but we need to see him make the plays that need to be made. Uh, He did have five fouls last game, so it was one shy fouling out. Um, I would like to see him, you know, not be as close to fouling out, but I would like to see him be effective in a lot of other aspects. He rebounded the ball well. Ten boards, I need to see that out of him as well. But I think that Boogie does a great job of stretching the floor, and I think that he's going to do that even more in game three. I think he'll be comfortable shooting the ball in Oracle. He shot three for eight uh, in Toronto, one for three uh, from three. And I think we'll see him get more opportunities to shoot the ball, and I think that he'll make the most of it, or at least I hope that he will. So I'll say Boogie for Golden State and Siakam and Kyle Lowry for Toronto. Also, Quinn Cook as well. I think Quinn Cook, depending on the severity of Clay, if Clay plays his normal amount of minutes, Quinn Cook's performance won't be as important. But if Clay's minutes get dropped off a little bit and they look toward Quinn Cook a little more, we're going to have to see him take and make shots. Maybe not a whole bunch, but we are going to need to see him take and make some. Uh, He played 21 minutes in game two. So that was the most off of the bench. And he made the most out of that 21 minutes. So I'm expecting to see him play somewhere near that again. And if he does, I'm going to need him to be. He might shoot better. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to need him to be able to to hit the shots that we know he's capable of hitting. But, yeah, man, that uh, that pretty much does it for the episode. Was there anything else you want to say before we got up out of here? Uh, nah, I feel like we touched on everything. Still finals MVP going with Steph? You damn right. <laughs> That's no surprise. But, yeah, man, we appreciate y'all for joining in and listening to us, man. Make sure y'all enjoy game three tonight because it's on. And, we want to hear what y'all's take is on the series too, man. So feel free to hit us up on our uh, Pick and Roll Podcast, Instagram, Facebook, uh, all that, and let us know what y'all think of the series so far. I've seen a lot of people uh, have some crazy takes. I saw somebody say uh, Toronto on five or Toronto on six, and I'm like, oh, really? Like, no, that's tough. Yeah, that's that's deep, and they they're standing on it. Like I. Uh, I sent, like, the wow face when I saw that, and it was like, watch, you heard it here first. So I'm like, okay, like I guess that's what it is. So we'll see. But, yeah, man, let us know what y'all think of the series as a whole. And, uh, yeah, let us – we're going to see if we can get something together to where y'all let us know who y'all think going to be finals MVP and all that. But, yeah, man, we appreciate y'all joining us. We're definitely going to have more to talk about next episode, but we figured we'd tailor this one to game one, game two, and game three. So, uh, we'll see you guys back again next week. Depending on how this series goes, it might be over by the time we talk to y'all again. So we'll see. But no, actually, I think it won't be. Uh, we'll have to. Yeah, there will be another game right after that. But either way, man, thank y'all for joining us. Signing out. It's your boy Ish. And it's your boy Sam, man. Appreciate y'all. We out. <laughs>